come forward. And how's my favorite accountant? Ah, uh, very, very well, my lord, very well. Very well, not very... Uh, the truth is, it is not at all well with my soul. What beeth the problem? Beeth the prop. Beeth. Uh, so you're in a King James kind of mood. Got it. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> uh, what beeth the problem is that uh, you see this pile of uh, paperwork right here? <laughs> this is a list of every problem down on earth. And all this is just the last five minutes. Single space, very small font. I assume you want me to fix it. Yes. Oh, oh, yes, because you could just, you could take care of it like that. You see, from an accounting perspective, the uh, process that uh, you currently have in place is, uh, well, it's not getting the job done. <laughs> um, uh, exhibit A, five minutes, tiny little font. All right, continue. Uh, well, Right now, the process goes something like this. You own everything in the entire universe. So when a problem arises, you could very easily use those resources to fix that problem. But instead, you take all of your possessions, and in a very complicated algorithm, you divide it amongst the 7.125 billion people down on Earth, and then <laughs> expect them to give away all or a portion of those resources to fix the problem. Yes? I would suggest that that last step is, how do I put this, completely unnecessary. And why is that? Well, you yourself call your people sheep. Sheep are dumb. <laughs> I mean, let's just cut out the middle sheep. And before, you know, you can say, but I need them to do the work. But I do need them to do the work. Yeah, well, I'm not trying to point out the obvious here, but they are lazy, stupid, slow, and I'm just talking about the Christians. <laughs> Besides, you know, if you do it yourself, guess who gets the credit? You! That's two birds, sparrow, buzzard, whatever, it's a twofer. What else have you got? Fine, fine. Well, well our, our research does show that people tend to give more when there are plagues. You know, so when you need people to give, why not throw down a couple of plagues? You know, frogs, some locust infestation, ooh, maybe some boils. <laughs> uh, been there, done that. Yeah, uh, well, it doesn't really matter if you've done it before. I mean, just ask Hollywood. <laughs> they do it all the time. Just think of it as rebooting the Old Testament plagues. Coming soon, Frognado. Well, that's, that's not a bad idea. No, no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, what, what other ideas do you have? Uh, well, it's kind of a last resort, but it has proven to be highly effective, and that is to get rid of free will. I mean, just for a century or two, you know, until we fix everything. How would that help? Well, then, thy will be done. Ta-da! My children can't grow 
without sacrifice. Yeah, but what they're giving away isn't even theirs. Where is the sacrifice in that? Ooh, 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 what about this? What if we incentivize them? You know, we tell people if they give a lot of their time, then we'll slap an extra decade onto the end of their life. Or if they give a lot of money, we advertise that they could win prizes. You know, tithe your way to Maui. Or why not tell my children what is required of them and then wait for them to act? Yeah, so we're just the same thing we do every year. Yes, the same thing we do every year. Fine, fine, fine. But let the record show that you have a lot more faith in your stupid sheep than I do. As it should be. I mean, come on, look at them down there. I'm stupid. I'm selfish. Yeah, yeah, yes, sir. Yes, sir, my uh, Lord. Yeah, yeah, we'll get right on that. As it should be, my Lord. As it should be. <laughs> well, that sketch in many ways kicks off this new sermon series as we go into the month of November, headed towards that celebration Sunday, as Pastor Kerr mentioned, on November 16th, just two weeks from now. And we're looking at what does it mean to pray that most dangerous prayer, God, would you spend me, oh Lord, on the things that you love the most? What would that look like? And so over the next three weeks, starting today, we're going to take a look at what does it mean for us to be spent on those things that God loves the most? Well, there's actually a passage in Scripture that I want to direct our attention, our thoughts, our minds to. It's out of Isaiah, in which Kendall wrote that wonderful song. Kendall, thank you for writing that. That was just wonderful. I know, I know you don't like the... You don't like the applause, I know. You don't need the applause, but thank you for choosing to be spent your time, your talents on writing that. But that song came out of this passage. So why don't we take a look at the screens. This is Isaiah chapter 58. And as it, that goes there, in a moment I'm going to read this, but just to give you a little context, a little background. At this moment in the nation of Israel's history, God's people had so forgotten what their identity was and what they were supposed to be about. They had so forgotten how much a blessing they had in their lives, and they stopped blessing those around them. In many ways, their, their activity as God's people became so focused on themselves that they, they weren't being spent on the things that God loved. In fact, in many ways, their, their fasting and their worship and their religious activities, even their sacrifices were more all about themselves. It was all about being seen and having their identity as one who had it all together while at the same time oppressing those around them. So in the midst of this context, Isaiah the prophet comes and he speaks against that insider view and says, you've got to change your heart, you've got to change your mind. And God uses Isaiah to share these words. I think they're very relevant for us today. Isaiah says, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt and you shall raise up the foundations of many generations you shall be called 
the repair of the breach, the restore of streets to dwell in. This, my friends, is God's Word. Would you pray with me? God, as we gather in this place and in this moment, as some people are listening in online or, or listening to this after the fact, I pray that your Spirit would meet us exactly where we are and through the power of your Word, help us to understand the things that you love the most. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. So this imagery of pouring out is one that Isaiah uses here. If you would be poured out for the broken, the oppressed. And that imagery of being poured out is actually imagery used throughout the entire Hebrew Scriptures, throughout all of the Old Testament. In fact, there is actually a practice that we see very early on throughout the Hebrew Scriptures of many different offerings, many different sacrifices given to God in worship. And one of those was a drink offering. And so there would be wine or fermented drink that would be poured out on the altar. And this was a way signifying that they were pouring out their thanks, pouring out their love, pouring out their adoration on the true God of the heavens and the earth. And so Isaiah here is using that imagery of a drink offering being poured out, and he applies that to our entire life. And he says, imagine your life poured out. The problem was the nation of Israel at that point, they were pouring out their drink offerings, but they weren't pouring out their lives. And this imagery is picked up again and again in the New Testament as well. In fact, there's actually an ancient Roman practice where people would worship pagan gods and at meals they would take their drinks and they would literally pour it out on the ground as worship to the pagan gods. And so Paul picks up on this imagery and in Philippians chapter 2 and also in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says that my life has been poured out like a drink offering for Christ. And so I want us to imagine that idea of our life being poured out. And as we do that, the whole of this morning, I want us to focus just on one thought, one truth. It's this, that the true value doesn't come from what you have to pour out, but the true value comes from what you pour into. Now, let me, let me visually demonstrate this. You know, I was at the, the store last night, and I actually uh, walked in, and I ordered this, and this came out, and, uh, you know, and I, and I ordered it, and the lady looked at me, and she says, ah, nice, nice choice. Well, for those of you who know, this is a bottle of champagne. I actually had to look it up online how to pronounce this. I thought it was Vuv Kluko, but online it says Vav, and somebody afterwards came up and says, no, no, it's Vuv. And I'm like looking at his lips saying, Vuv, Vuv, how do you say it? Okay, I don't know how to say it, but it's expensive, okay? You go, to, you go to a restaurant right now. This would be about $100 in a restaurant. It's less in the store that I bought it. And if you were to go, let's say, to a restaurant on New Year's Eve, now all of a sudden this bottle is now about $150. In fact, this is actually one of the oldest champagne brands there is, almost 250 years old. This actually comes from the Champagne region of France. This is one of the few champagnes that has actually been received and officially received by the Queen of England. This is actually part of a luxury group of brands, Louis Vuitton, Moet, Hennessy. This is very luxurious, okay? So in many ways, you might say, okay, this has, this has some value. Now, at the same time, I was checking, oh, oh, Excuse me. Uh, it needs a jacket. 
you know, nice champagne needs a jacket. It's a little cold in here. And uh, let me just keep that cold. Just to, I've never done this before, you can tell, huh? But just to put that in. So part of the presentation, okay? So you got the vuv, vauv, vauv, kluko, something right there, okay, right there. Label out, okay. And, okay, so I'm checking out, right, yesterday, and the lady, what did she say? Nice choice, right? And then, then she sees this come across. Now, this is J. Roger. Now, it's Roger if you refer to it as Tarjay. But we know that it's Target, so this is Rajit, okay? <laughs> this is Rajit. One dollar. One dollar. One dollar. And about a hundred dollars at a restaurant, though I, I paid less at the store. In many ways, you can see tremendously different values of these two things. Then let me, let me just pause for a moment. I, I, I recognize that some of you are like, what on earth is he doing? He's a pastor. He just touched a bottle of alcohol. And I, and I, I want to respect that tr tremendously. I, I talked to a few people this week, and I, I want to be very sensitive. I imagine and I know that there's people here in this place and listen online where this, is, this could be offensive, and I, and I want to just say, can you just go with me for about 10 minutes on this illustration? In fact, in many ways, Scripture uses this imagery, remember? Paul says that I am being poured out like a drink offering. Paul was referring to himself using a metaphor as a wine offering being poured out. And the point that I want to make today is that true value comes not from what we have to pour out, but what we pour into. So if any of you have a hard time trying to compare yourself to two different bottles of champagne, some of you, it's very easy, and you're like, oh, I'm the Vouve, all right? I know some of you are like, that's me, I'm not the Rojet, you know? But some of you might be saying, yeah, I am the, the Rojet. I'm not, I'm not, I don't have much to offer. I don't have much to give. I mean, if you really know my background, Drew, and, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of figuring this stuff out. I really just don't have much to offer. And I recognize some of you might align your lives with one of these two, one of high value, one of perhaps perceived little value. But if, if the alcohol is a problem, let's just make it monetary value. Let's just say this is $100, this is $1, okay? Forget the alcohol. These are just two representative things of two different values. So you've got $100 in my left hand, $1 in my right hand. Now, in many ways, economics will tell us, the world will tell us, businesses will tell us that this heavier bottle of vuv is much more valuable than this rajet, which you can't even call it champagne because it's from America. It's not from the champagne region of France. It's actually sparkling wine, okay? So the world would say that this has so much more value than this. And I think some of you, I imagine, come to this moment and you hear imagery that's used in Scripture that we should live our lives poured out on the things that God loves. And some of you might say, well, I've got, I've got a lot to pour out. I mean, if you knew what was in my bank account and you knew where I travel and you know what kind of education and my skills and my background and, and how people see me in the workplace, you know, I've got a lot to offer. But some of you might say, you know, I've got nothing to offer. I mean, I, I'm not even renting. I'm, I'm still living with my parents, and, you know, and, and I'm just I'm, I'm paycheck to paycheck. And some of you might say, I haven't worked in a long time, and, you know, I haven't even graduated high school yet, and I'm 55, and, you know, I, I don't have much to offer. You know, and some of you might, you might say, okay, now what? Well, remember that point I made? The true value of something isn't in what you have to pour out, but what you pour into. 
And some of you might be thinking, Drew, I, I still don't get it. I mean, one is maybe 100 times more valuable than the other. And yes, that's true. And if value only came from what we pour from, that would be true. But what we pour into actually makes a huge, huge difference. So I've got this, in many ways, very, very expensive bottle of champagne, chilled because it was in the jacket. Nice jacket, right? And, you know, some of you might th say, this, that, Drew, that's just a big glass. What are you talking about? No, this is a trash can. <laughs> and um, if it was just lined with clean, you know, bag, it would be fine. But there's coffee grounds, uh, a banana peel, and uh, Kleenex used. So, um, in many ways, I'm really slow at this. The 9 o'clock, I literally had to ask somebody for help on this one. I twisted the cork the wrong way, and it, I made a mess. So let's see if I can do it this time. And you might be thinking, wait, wait, no, wait, no, no, Drew, no, no, no. You're not going to open that. You're a pastor. You're not going to open that. And some of you are thinking, you're not going to open that and pour it into a trash can, are you? <laughs> see, we're all covered. Everybody in this room is saying, you're doing the wrong thing. That's fine. I'm <laughs> trying to make a point here, right? What a mess this is. I used to be a waiter, too. <clears throat> Six turns, two, three. I watched a YouTube video last night. <laughs> I did, I did. So in many ways, the true value doesn't come from what we have to pour out, but what we pour into. So, you know, I'm surprised nobody said no yet. In the 9 o'clock, somebody yelled from right there, like, no, like literally. Okay, let me just, we'll pause there. The $1 one, that's, okay, twist cap, right, easy. Can I do a twist cap? I might need some help. Come on. Oh, man, this is so embarrassing. Oh, man, I know. Anybody, anybody care? Okay. How many staff members does it take to open up a $1 bottle of champagne, right? So if you're listening online, there's no video. We're trying to open up a $1 bottle of, of champagne. Okay, here we go. Oh, no, okay, here we go, okay. The jacket was coming off over there. That was amazing. Oh, wow. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. It's amazing. So $1 value, right? And some of you might think, well, that's not that much waste. But remember, the true value of something doesn't come from what you have to pour out, but what you pour into. And so in many ways, many of you might think, oh, that's not that much of a waste. I mean, $1 and you know, pouring it into a trash can, it's only lost value of, of a dollar, no big deal. But this Vuv. <laughs> and in many ways, you know, some of you are like, no, don't do it, Drew. Don't, don't do it, Drew. <laughs> if you don't see me next week, that's why. I, uh, But in many ways, my wife said to me, you're going to buy a bottle for each service? 
And I said, yes. And she says, what a waste. And I said, yes, that's, that's the point. But I, but I think about the things that we pour our life into, that we pour our time into relationships that are broken. We pour our attention to people that treat us like objects. We pour our energy into worry, anxiety. We pour our money into addictions. And we pour our lives with tremendous value into things that are just a waste. And yes, this is a waste, but how much more does God say, why, why, child, are you pouring your life into those things? So no matter what you started with, one dollar, a hundred, they're now worth nothing. But what possibly could we pour our lives into that would give it value? There was this moment about a month ago that I have to share with you. In fact, it was a moment that I'll, I'll never forget. And that moment actually started 10 years ago when a father came up to me and he said, Drew, you're at this church. This is the church where I came from. He says, Drew, my daughter's in rehab this morning. She's been inflicting self-harm for years. She's in and out of addictions. It's a church. What can you do for me and for my family? And I, I gave him some options. He said, that's not, that's not good enough. And eventually we started a ministry that lasted five years where over a thousand families came and received help and encouragement and love and counseling and education on things that teenagers struggle with. And lives were transformed. We did that for five years. And as the years went on, I kind of lost touch with that, with that dad and with that family. And I got a phone call now in this new role here at Bel Air. I've been here for six months, and I get this phone call in May, and it was a month after I started here. And there was this voice I didn't even recognize. She says, Drew, how you doing? I said, who's this? And she said, Alexa. And I said, okay, Alexa. And she all of a sudden pieces my memory together, and I realize that this is the daughter of that dad from 10 years ago. And she says, I'm getting married. I'm like, oh, no. Who's the guy? And I'm thinking she's still wrapped up in brokenness. And so I must confess, my heart just sank. And she says, and Drew, it's so great. I gave my life to Christ about three years ago, and I'm sober. I don't know if you knew all the stuff I was going through. I'm like, oh, I knew. I knew the stuff you were going through. I, I, I prayed with your dad. I was thinking about all these things. And she says, my life has completely changed. And so I'm getting married. Let's get together. And so I got together with her and her fiance, tattoos up their arms, up their necks. And they were filled with so much peace and joy and security because of the relationship with God. And they looked across the coffee table and said, Drew, would you officiate our wedding? And I met with them. We did premarital counseling. I want to make sure, like, are you really in this? I mean, marriage is such a huge commitment. And we would take that time together. And then we got to this place where then a month ago, I was sitting in this huge reception area just after officiating their wedding. And I know that family, they don't have much money. They had to literally build the dance floor themselves. They built the centerpieces. It was in the backyard of a home. And I remember this moment where I'm looking across the room in this outdoor place, and this father who I've known for 10 years, and I don't know if it was an expensive bottle of champagne, I don't know if it was a, a $1 rojet or if it was 
sparkling cider. I have no idea what it was, but I saw him as the music was kind of fading out of that first song. He pours out a little, little bit. And I knew that he didn't drink, and so, you know, it could have been sparkling cider, who knows. But I saw him as the, the hush of the crowd went down. He got up and he stood there with his hand shaking, a little tear in his eye. And he began to give the toast for the daughter that he didn't know if it was going to live many nights before that. And I watched this man, and I'm watching the faces of people who knew the story, and I'm watching him pouring out just this little bit into this priceless moment. And to me, that symbolized a decade of him pouring his life into his daughter through prayer and through encouragement and sacrificing things for himself so that he could put his daughter through rehab and to get her the help that she needed. He was pouring himself into the things that God loves the most, us. And who knows how much that cost was going into the glass, but it was a priceless moment that I wish you could have experienced and seen for yourself. And I imagine that some of you here, you think you're the Vouv, you think you're the Rojet. You don't want to identify with either, so maybe it's a, a monetary value. And remember, the truth is this, that true value doesn't come from what we have to pour out, but what we pour into. It took King Solomon his entire life to get that point. He spent decades, as Scripture says, the richest man in the history of the world pouring his life into all these different things. And its conclusion, oh, it's meaningless. Vanity of vanities. The Apostle Paul says, I've done all these things. I've lived a perfect Jewish life, and I've put all my stock into my religious heritage, in my identity, and obeying the law, and all of that is rubbish compared to knowing Christ. So whether you have a lot to give or a little to give, the true value comes from what you pour your life into. And if you pour your life into a dynamic, rich relationship with God through Jesus Christ, if you pour your life into the things that God loves the most, if you pour your life into the oppressed and the broken, if you take time in line at the grocery store to just ask the person, hey, how are you? If you get off your cell phone and if you get out of your head, if you start noticing the people around you, if you begin to pour your life into the things that God loves the most, that's how you invest in God's kingdom. And whether you have a little to give or a lot to give, it becomes not only priceless, it becomes eternal. So as we pray that prayer, God, would you spend me in the things that you love the most? Would you see your entire life as one that can be poured out? It's going to be poured out no matter what. Days of our lives got that right. Remember that little ditty? Like the grains in the hourglass? <laughs> so the days of our lives. You know, it's just it's, time gets poured out, energy gets poured out. Our money gets poured out, but we have a choice. What are we going to pour our time and our energy and our resources and our finances and our attention into? into things that are just a waste or things that are priceless. We pray with me. God, as we consider this, this imagery and this thought that 
isn't new to me or new to us. It's found in Scripture, this idea of our lives being poured out like a drink offering. God, would you help us to see you in this moment? And may we just pause as we prepare our hearts to come to your table. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.